Welcome to the Online Frogcast. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade, working with some of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And prior to several years ago, I was a fraudster. I committed several different types of fraud online until I ended up on the United States Most Wanted list, spent several years in prison, and have since dedicated my career to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against people like I used to be. And last week we talked a lot about what happens to a credit card when it's stolen, or really, you know, what happens to your credit card when it's stolen. And this week we really wanted to follow up on that and talk more about what to do when your card is stolen, as well as how to prevent it from happening. I mean, we'll say right off the bat, like there's no way 100% to prevent it, but there's definitely things to do. It's similar to, I can't 100% prevent somebody from breaking into my house, but I can have a security system or a dog or things like that. So similar to credit card fraud as well. Exactly. And, and one of the things I talk about all the time is placing alerts on credit cards and debit cards. Right. So, I mean, definitely having a way to monitor your account and to Brett's point, you know, we know that not everybody uses credit cards. And honestly, when I talk about credit cards, I'm usually thinking in my head, all cards. And that really does encompass debit cards as well. There's a little bit of different rule on debit and credit for fraud for the consumer. But really, you know, some people say that only use your credit card. Uh, but really, honestly, debit and credit, if fraud is, occurs on your card, you will get that money back through your bank or your, you know, financial institution. So, you know, there's definitely varying suggestions on which ones to use. But if you do primarily use your debit card, don't think that you're, you know, up a creek. Uh, your bank is there to help you with that as well. No, that's very true. And, and the reason I wanted to, you know, I think we talked about this before we started recording, mm -hmm. but I was on a podcast a few weeks ago and, and one of the people on the podcast suggested that you should always use your credit card instead of your debit card. And I was sitting there listening to it, and I was a guest on there, mm -hmm. and I, I was listening to the prospect you know, after it was released and everything, and, and my initial thought while, while the gentleman was saying that was a bit of anger. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and the reason why is because I'm now 48 years old, and I, I was a criminal for many years. I, I stole credit cards, everything else, and I never owned a credit card in my name until this year. While he was talking about that, it occurred to me that many people in the United States are, are too poor. Their credit is so bad that they don't have credit cards. They have right. to use this with a, with a debit card. And, and when you're sitting there saying, oh, the, the fix is to use a credit card, that really just rubs It alienates. Yeah. I, and, you know, I completely agree with you on that as well. And for me, I actually choose not to use, you know, I have a couple credit cards, but I choose not to. Um, and I understand the argument that, you know, when you're using your debit card a lot, you're not building up your credit like you do with your credit card. But, sure. you know, that's, I think that you were absolutely right. I had other issues with the um, advice given just from a rules <laughs> standpoint, um, <laughs> because it's not like it magically, you know, goes away and that the bank has insurance that takes care of it. 
You all know that's not true because I've talked about that a lot. I work with merchants every single day that would argue that that's not the case. There's no magic wand that the bank just goes, oh, okay, we'll write it off on our insurance. Obviously, that happens in person, but not online, which is where most of it's going. And so, at yeah. that point, it's the merchant. The merchant pays for it. Absolutely. So, I mean, just know that like, as we're going through these, we're actually, you know, we might default to just say credit card, but we actually mean credit and debit. Really, you know, the rules are, ty- like I said, a tiny bit different, but at the end of the day, if fraud occurred on your card, as long as you catch it in two, three months max, then you're good. Um, Absolutely. And now, now, Chris, what are some of the ways that, that consumers out there can know or have an idea if they've been compromised? Well, I mean, you really said it, right? Like monitoring your accounts is the best way. You know, we talked about that in the last pod, I think, or one of them, that putting a freeze on your credit report only is going to notify you or keep people from creating new accounts in your name. Um, as far as credit or debit card fraud, you need to monitor your accounts, look at the purchases, make sure that they're the ones that you made. If not, call the merchant and find out, you know, who they are. I would suggest that before calling the bank just because, you know, I'm very merchant friendly. But um, (laughs) and I know a lot of times if you call the bank and just say, I don't recognize this charge, they issue a charge back no matter what. Um, And sometimes that cardholder gets that money back and sometimes they don't. But that's a whole other tangent. So, you know, I think knowing, you know, what's on there, you can also set alerts with your credit or debit card company or bank for charges over a certain amount. I personally choose to bank with a bank that is overly cautious. Um, they're a credit union and they have very good controls in place. And sometimes it drives me crazy because they <laughs> shut or pause my card just because, you know, <laughs> one night we, we had friends over and I had been working all day and didn't end up making dinner. So I ordered delivery and it was kind of a lot. And then And then my daughter wanted to put some credits on her online gaming account. So I put that on my card. And the next day I go to, I don't know, pay at my chiropractor or something like that. And it doesn't work. And I'm like, oh, yeah, hey, that, there's money in there. Those weren't any type of flags at all. That right, no, I know. <laughs> I know, exactly. Those two things together. I totally know it. Another time I had to book like a whole bunch of hotel and travel all in one day for several travel things. Because as Brett knows, as speakers, we usually pay for it up front and then get reimbursed at some point. And um, <laughs> that caused another flag. But on the plus side, they've also caught, you know, some other stuff too. So that's another way. But don't count on your bank to alert you to fraud because most banks don't, um, especially for online fraud, because it's not on their liability. And that's not to say anything bad about banks. But I really noticed during the recession and the downturn that banks kind of eliminated that department within their organization. So prior to 2008, it was pretty common for your credit card company or bank to call you and say, hey, did you make this purchase or that kind of thing. And then after that, that kind of stopped happening. It still does happen sometimes, especially like if you go out of the country or anything like that, but they're not monitoring it as closely. So you can't you know, expect that to happen. Sometimes the merchant will call you, uh, but due to volume, it just can't be done in every single case. I mean, especially if you're talking about some of these big companies, they're looking at thousands of fraudulent orders a day. They can't call the customers and and cardholders. It's so time consuming and you just kind of have to (laughs) keep going. You have to get on to the next one. So, you know, again, you can set up alerts with your bank to be notified by text or email for every purchase, or you can set a threshold. You know, you can also keep an eye out on your email for receiving a confirmation email of a purchase that you didn't make. Really just being more vigilant and aware and not just assuming that someone else is going to catch it, I think is the biggest thing that I would I would say there. Brett, do you have anything to add on that point? 
Right. No, I think that I think that's the key to it all is is increased vigilance. I mean, that's that right. that is really the overall answer to cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, we have to be more aware. And I think that uh, where you mentioned check your email for those mm-hmm. confirmation things. What we're what we're seeing now, because a lot of security companies right now are are really focusing on fraudsters' use of fraudulent email addresses. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that fraudsters have started doing is using the correct email address on file. So they use a stolen credit card information. They they will actually use your email address and either bet on you not checking the confirmation email. You may think it's spam or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or they'll actually bomb your email account with thousands upon thousands of just spam emails in the hopes that that confirmation email is, is lost within those thousands that are sent out. So it's very important to be aware of everything. I think you, you hit all the, all the bases there. I mean, uh, with the monitoring... Discover Card right now has a $0 alert, and, and I say that because when you place alerts on your account, you need to place the lowest dollar alert you can. Discover is a $0 alert, so that means if someone just buys your credit card information and tests it to see if it's still active, you still get that alert if you have a Discover huh. Card. Uh, Interesting. Very effective. But I could also see, like, you know, there's a lot of merchants that do $0 auths as well, and so you're going to get a lot of alerts. (laughs) Oh, a whole lot. (laughs) So finding that balance is important, because if you're getting a lot of alerts, then you're probably not going to really pay attention to, you know, Right, and that becomes a problem all of a sudden. Does does the fraudulent alert get lost in with all the legitimate traffic? Huge. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really is just more vigilance and just knowing. I think the biggest thing is just not counting on someone else letting you know. That's the thing, right? I mean, and I mean, you're completely right. The banks, my card, my, my debit and credit card is shut down usually about three times a month. Usually while I'm booking travel. Uh-huh. <laughs> or I forget to place travel plans on the card and I'm four states away and all of a sudden the cards don't work. Yep. Uh, now, the bank does not call me to tell me the, that the card is frozen. Right. At all. The card's just frozen. Well, a lot of it is automatic now, right? So, like, a lot of it, a human probably didn't even know that it happened. You have to call in, and then they look into it, but a lot of it is systems in place. And I I get, you know, I get all upset. I call in, yep, you've frozen my card again. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I do? And I don't, I've never asked my bank if this is why it works, but before I travel every single time, I buy, like, a water on my debit card at the Uh, airport gift shop. So you're testing the cards before you travel. No, it's my own card. But no, so that that way, if they're looking at it, they're like, oh, she was at the airport. So that makes sense why she's in San Francisco well, or so Boston. You would, th- you would think, you would think I do that kind of See, stuff. Yeah. And it, it, I don't know if that's why or if my bank just finally was like, okay, she travels a lot. Like, let her go. No, you've got but they don't stop it. That's yeah, cool. they don't. They don't stop it when I travel. They usually stop it for CMP <laughs> transactions. Yeah. And yeah, me, I, here I am. I'll, I'll put the chip in. I, you know, I don't swipe the card. I put the chip in. It reads it, and there it's locked right there. And I'm like, dude, it's a chip insert. What are you right. talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you just you can't you can't count on that, you know. And and it is a pain. And we all have had that experience where, oh my gosh, you know, I it wasn't fraud and it's frozen. And then we've had the experience where it was fraud and it wasn't frozen. So that should make our point right there, right? That they're doing some things and and we really, you know, applaud them for what they are doing, but they can't catch everything. And they don't, you know, while there are so many systems that can predict human behavior and say, oh, this person always shops at specialty auto stores or always shops at, you know, clothing or whatever it is, you know, they can 
fit those profiles for you, but there's just always going to be, you know, it's not always going to work a hundred percent. So whether you're putting alerts on it or you just set like, okay, every Saturday I'm going to look at my online banking or whatever it is, just keep an eye on it for sure. And then I would say once you do see the suspicious activity on the account, the first thing you need to do is call your bank um, to have that credit card number closed um, and have a new card issued. I mean, that is literally like, don't be like my mother and call me first. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, mom. I know know if she's listening or not, but um, (laughs) it was several years ago, but she called me and was like, my card got stolen what do i do and i'm like well did you call your bank and cancel it no i called you what do you think <laughs> well, I, you might want to like, call your bank well right what do you think i'm gonna do like i don't have a magic button now i can definitely help you once it happens but like shut it down because even in this conversation they're running it up once they have i mean brett can talk about this more than i can but once they know that that card is active and there's money in it they're going to town as quickly as they can Absolutely. and they they have a budget, but they don't know what it is. They don't know what that limit is. And so, and they also don't know what the timeline is between when the bank or the cardholder is going to figure it out. So they're going at it really fast. So the first thing you do is you shut down your card. There are some banks that I know discovers one of them that has the ability to freeze your card. So if you're not 100% sure, like if you lost your card and you're not 100% sure where the card is, but you don't think it was stolen, you can just freeze it. But canceling it is just going to make it so that it's completely closed and they'll reissue a new card. Yeah, definitely review your account activity for at least the last month and file a charge back for the charges that were fraudulent and and went through. But I mean, again, as somebody who's on the merchant side, make sure that you clarify with your bank, like if there's a charge for Netflix or Hulu or something like that mixed in there with them, like only charge back what was actually fraud. That would be my personal PSA. Uh, sometimes <laughs> banks just like <laughs> charge back everything. And you're like, wait, but that wasn't fraud. And then it mucks up the system because then a lot of times when a merchant gets a fraud charge back, they put you on a negative list. Well, right. you don't want to be on a negative list with a company that you have a relationship with. So that's also why it's not just because I have been on the merchant side for, you know, almost 15 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I see that. And it's important just to say that if the charge went through and was settled, um, which means the money was taken out of your account, then um, you'll definitely want to issue a chargeback. But there also might be, it may not have been settled yet, like if it just happened in the last couple of days. So if it was, if that's the case, call the merchant and ask for it to be voided or canceled. Um, And that way you don't have to worry about a chargeback. The authorized funds will just go right back to your account. The bank might credit you back for the funds while the chargeback process occurs because the chargeback process can sometimes take six to eight weeks for a final decision to make. So the card brands are still, or networks, Visa and MasterCard are really trying to speed that up with new rules for online merchants. But six to eight weeks is pretty safe. A lot of banks will credit you in the meantime for that. But unfortunately, some of the underbanked people, that doesn't happen too. And I I wish that there was another way, but that's right. just... And that, that's, that goes back fact, to that. You know, if, it does. If you, have, if you have the credit card, use it. If you right. don't, as a lot of people simply don't have credit cards, you know, when you're, when you're using that debit card like that and you, you have the fraudulent charge on there, you, you potentially sometimes that's going to take two months mm-hmm. to get that money back to you. And, you know, we live in a society today where that two months, if it's just a couple hundred dollars, that two months, that matters all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, Oh, absolutely. And so that's, I mean, I wanted to make that point because I I wish that there was something I could do about that. There's not, but that is something to be aware of. Definitely, though, like if it's happened in the the last few days, like if you catch it pretty soon, 
Call the merchant first before you file a chargeback and ask for a refund because that's faster than the chargeback process. And merchant, most merchants appreciate that too. They should be appreciating that. I do know of some who don't ever want to give a refund. And, you know, unfortunately that catches up with them because they'll get high chargebacks. <laughs> and I am working, you know, with a company similar with that now or they don't want to give refunds. And I understand that. But the cardholders will just go to their bank Um, and there's extra fees and fines associated with that. So it's in the merchant's best interest to issue a refund. If the customer service department won't do it, ask for the fraud department. Um, Most online companies have them. And also they appreciate that because if it's a physical good, they can hopefully cancel the order or reverse the shipping to not give the cyber criminal the items that they purchased with your card. And and for consumers out there, just just understand that the necessity of notifying the merchant and the bank as quickly as possible. Right. Because here's what's happening. If you don't do that, if that charge goes through or that charge is pending or whatever, and you don't notify someone that it's fraud, what Mm -hmm. happens is, is a fraudster knows that once that order goes through, that every subsequent order looks more legitimate for him. Mm-hmm. So he's going to he's going to keep using that card until it's worn out. Right. And so it's it's very important, especially if it's you know people talk about debit cards, but if it's your debit card and a fraudster is milking all the money out of that and you're looking at a potential of 2 months before the money is is refunded to the card, that becomes a huge issue. So it's very important to notify the bank and the merchant as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And I would say that most people with debit cards, it's not going to take up to two months. But unfortunately, like for underbanked, the banks look at it and say, well, there's a risk. What if you spend that money and then the chargeback comes back not in your favor, then we can't get that back. Right. And Um, when I started, uh, the bank that I bank with, now I get the refunds the same day because I have you know money coming history in. and right but, right. Uh, when I first started, it took two weeks to get the refund, and right. I'm sitting there. I don't. We were living paycheck to paycheck. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that mattered. Yo, so, yeah. So just, just be very careful as a consumer. It's it's important to be very aware that you can be victimized, and when you know that you're that you're being compromised or being attacked or being victimized, it's important to act on that immediately. Yes. Hopefully we've hit that home a little bit. Um, The other thing I would just say is, you know, to merchants that are listening, it's so important to have a process in place when a cardholder calls to make that claim. I know some companies like to refer the victims to their banks to file a chargeback, but since Visa and MasterCard have limits in place of the ratio that you can have, this is one way to lower your chargeback threshold. Um, It's a good way for customer service. You know, that victim may not be a customer now, but you know, their experience with dealing with you could be the difference between telling 10 friends that their card was used on your site and using words like hacked and things like that because, you know, consumers don't know the difference between hacked and fraud and we, you know, understand that. Or And being really upset that their card was stolen on your site and you wouldn't give them a refund and being really upset. Or saying, wow, they really handled it well and telling a few friends about that good experience. Absolutely. So, that's super important, but it also is in your best interest to do that too, because it reduces your chargeback fees. So have a process in place. I just, you know, have to say that. The other thing I also have to say from the merchant perspective is if you do ever have to close your account due to fraud, make sure you update your uh, new card number with online companies that you have recurring accounts with, like Netflix, Hulu, Spotify, et cetera. Because credit card fraud impacts these types of companies too. 
often the accounts are shut down because the consumer didn't update their account. Yep. You Three know, charters canceled. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Took two times for me to remember to update those accounts after I got the new card number. Yeah. yeah or you get the naughty message like, Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, please update. Oh, oops, something went wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I've worked with a lot of merchants on that side too, on the payment side of optimizing payments. And so, you know, there are ways to get the card updated, but it takes longer and you don't have access to, you know, what you want through those recurring services as well. So I'm um, just important to notify. I know when all cards got switched to EMV, it took such a hit to Netflix that they had to announce it on their shareholder meeting. Oh, uh, wow. that they had a dip in revenue because oh, I had no idea. cards. Yeah, yeah. It was public. So that's why I'm you know, <laughs> using their name. Yeah, they had to announce it to their shareholders. Had, and I don't remember the percentage, but it was a huge dip in numbers because everyone got new card numbers when they got right. a chip in the mail and they didn't think to update it. And if that's happening to Netflix, it was definitely happening to other companies too. Oh, absolutely. Um, all these subscription boxes, all, you know, Ancestry.com, whatever you can think of that's on recurring. Gym memberships, all those all things. That, right. Yeah. So just things to keep in mind. I can't help but mention those things because they're <laughs> <laughs> part of my life. Brett, you mentioned on last week's episode that even after our card number is closed, that the victim may still be victimized again for other forms of fraud. And I actually experienced that a little bit. And I think I mentioned that on the previous episode. But can you share what other types of fraud someone could potentially be a target for, like even after their compromised card? is? Sure. So the type of fraud, say someone just buys credit card information online and they get your credit card number. So they're on your credit card number for that information. They're spending six to $20. They get the, your name, your address, your phone number, your email address, your credit card number, expiration date, and security code. Now they can use that. I think I've said this several times before. They, they can use that immediately to charge $500 to $1,000 worth of product or services. But depending on the type of card it is, they may want to actually pull your full information, your full identity information, which is very easy to pull that. Uh, it takes I can do it in, in under six or seven minutes. Get your background check, credit report, social, date of birth, well under 10 minutes is how long it takes someone like me to get that information. Now, once I have that, I can ATO your account, all right, which means an account takeover. So I call the bank and I act like I'm you and I take over your account. And that, that gives me access to changing addresses, to have anything shipped to alternate addresses, anything that I want, because the bank calls the, the, like the phone number on file to confirm that, and I would change the phone number on file. That's the basics of that. But, but what happens is, once you're on that type of criminal radar, you're not just susceptible to that credit card fraud. So say you have that credit card shut down. Well, there were a few credit cards last year that fraudsters were able to figure out the algorithm for the future credit card. So they knew you'd have your credit card shut down. Oh, my gosh. They, they would know what the credit card number is before it was actually manufactured at the company and sent out to you. Wow. So they were then able to use it even before you got it in hand. And that went on for six, eight months at that point. And that, that kind of stuff happens every now and then. So you've got that to worry about. Not only that, but you've got somebody that, say he buys a, a credit card and it's a really good credit card. So he's looking at you like, okay, I got him on this one. I know there's more money there somewhere, I right? <laughs> they've got to have good credit. Mm -hmm. the credit. Well, he's already got the credit report by that point. So he sees all these accounts on here and he's like, well, heck, why not set up some new accounts? Mm. 
So you start or to call to, to other existing ones, Absolutely. right? So like, take those over. oh, I use this card, but then they have another card with Absolutely. this bank. I can call and try to t- take it over. Okay. Yeah, this this stuff does not stop. This this is mm-hmm. this is an ongoing crime. Once right. you once you're on that type of radar, your information is out in the system. Some criminal has already looked at it. He's got interest in it. And that interest stays there until basically your credit's destroyed, and not only your credit. Once the credit's destroyed, it goes into your identity itself. So they they start using your information. They put it on a fake driver's license Ugh. and go out and set up bank accounts, cash checks under it, commit any type of fraud or crime under that as well. And it, it just, just takes forever to clean all that up to prove that it wasn't Years. you. Yeah, Years. it can take so long. And you know, the one thing I wanted to ask too is. Before you and I met and stuff, I used to think that if my credit card number was out there or if my social security number was out there, one person would buy it. And then once that one person bought it, then, you know, that was it. But what I've heard from you over and over is, no, it gets sold multiple times or it gets pieced out or whatever. And so, you know, 10 people could have bought my information and one person will use the credit card, but then another person will try to open another card in my name and another person will call me because they know my bank because of the first six digits of the card. Absolutely. They call representing that bank to try to get access to more accounts, which was ha- what happened to me. And, and that's that's one of the things you see is that criminals, they tend to, to specialize in one specific type of area. Mm-hmm. That may be tax fraud. It may be credit fraud. It may be Social Security account takeovers, student loan fraud, HELOC loans, anything like that. They, they tend to specialize in one area. So if you've got a criminal that buys your credit card information, you know, he, he may only use it to steal your credit, that one credit card data, or he may go around and set up new accounts as well or anything like that. Usually not even that. Usually it's the next guy that will go and set up new accounts. Hmm. But what happens is, is, is the guy who buys your credit card information, once he's through with it, he kind of forgets about you. Well, you, like I said, your information has already put, been pulled up at that point in time. So the next guy can come around and he's, you know, he may commit tax fraud. So hmm. he buys it to commit income tax return identity theft. Then the next guy comes along and he buys it to commit student loan fraud or social security account takeover. And it keeps going and going and going. This is, it's not just a, a one and done type thing. Once you're in that radar, once you're kind of on that spectrum, you're done at that point. The, the crime continues on and on. I gave an interview for, for AARP magazine. I'm, for some reason, they put you're the cover story. on the cover. That's right. <laughs> so Doug Shadell for the Washington state AARP, he interviewed this lady that was that was a victim of identity theft. And she had been a victim several years ago. She put a freeze on her accounts. That stopped the, the new account fraud. She The freezes and the monitoring was on for several years. She mm. felt safe, so she decided to just lift the freeze and stop monitoring. Within a month after that happens, she's hit again with more identity theft, more new account fraud, everything else. So this this never goes away. It's always happening. Yeah, and I think the most important thing is if your card is stolen, then definitely put a freeze on your credit report because they now have knowledge of you. And I actually say the same thing to merchants as well about, you know, once you're on their radar, then you are, it's not one and done. I mean, that's my whole dragons versus zombies thing that, you know, I talked about on one of the merchant focus podcasts, but like I was talking to a company the other day that's a digital marketplace and you never really had straight up fraud. But then they had this attack and, you know, I said, well, once they figure out how to monetize your goods and they have a pipeline of customers and you know, legitimate consumers that will buy it at a reduced rate, no matter what it is, they're going to, you know, you close the door, they're going to find a window because they know how to, you know, you're on their radar. So it's very similar. 
unfortunately it's not one and done and you know the purpose is not to scare anyone it's just more to be real and explain to you that that happens i would venture to say that for merchants it's even worse because you know a yeah. fraudster if, if a merchant is making money or on a product or service a fraudster will do the same on your product or service and the thing is is once the fraudster finds out that he can steal gift cards virtual items cell phones, whatever that is, whatever, tents, whatever it is. I talked to a guy, he was, uh, their company was getting hit with air mattresses of all things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the What's standing desk. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah, no matter how big, how small. That's yeah. it. Once they Video find games out that they a can, lot. <laughs> exactly. Once they find out they can steal anything, that person steals it and he shares it with his entire community. And some of these communities are thousands upon thousands of fraudsters working together. Right. So it, it's it's very, very bad, very dangerous. It's a bigger target. Absolutely. <laughs> and more more people at it. So yeah, I mean either way, it's definitely, you know, once you've been hit, it's not the end. It's important to, you know, using the home robbery experience, uh, you know, example, it's important to make sure that your doors and windows are locked. Make sure you have, you know, your credit report frozen. Make sure that you know that if you receive a call from your bank shortly after your card has been stolen that it may not be your bank and they probably won't be asking you for your account numbers and everything else. Always opt to call them back. And if they are your bank, they'll be okay with that. In fact, they'll probably give you their extension. If they're not your bank, they'll probably start to get more aggressive. You know, just kind of have that in the back of your head. You know, you might be more susceptible to phishing emails. So, you know, be extra vigilant if you've had your card stolen recently or your mail forwarded or anything like that. Absolutely. You know, so we talk about the different crimes that can happen even after your card is stolen. I think that something that a lot of people feel, you know, when your card is stolen and used fraudulently, it can be pretty violating feeling. And I've definitely been there and I know you have too. Um, you know, you and I probably look at it differently than most people just because we deal with it every day and we know it's a fact of life and, um, you know, we do what we can to clean it up and then move on. But you know, I've talked to a lot of victims over the years, and the number one thing that victims of credit card fraud want to do is, you know, after wanting to know how the number is obtained, like, how do I get the bad guy? You know, I have my perspective on that, but what, you know, what do you recommend to people when they ask that question? One of the first things I learned as a criminal is that many victims, and I don't care whether it's a company or a consumer, many victims simply don't report the crime to law enforcement. That's one of the things that I'm really big on now is that, is that you need to report. Now, the, <laughs> Carice and I were talking before the, before this episode about, <laughs> well, who do you report to? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, merchants know that problem, right? You get jurisdiction right. issues. I mean, do you report where you are? Do you report where the crime came from? If you know where it came from, do you report, you know, where it's shipping to, where it's – there's – Quite honestly, the reason why we have those questions on the merchant side is because we've been shuffled around quite a bit when we've tried. Absolutely. And, um, and law, enforcement, law enforcement will tell you to report the crime wherever the crime is committed. For example, if someone steals your credit card and they order product being sent to Los Angeles, then you would need to report it to the Los Angeles authorities. Now, as, as Carice pointed out, what, what was your response to that when I said that? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, yeah, but what if the merchant's in Seattle? Or, you know, also the cardholder doesn't always know where the item shipped to. They just know what store it was done at, and that company can't divulge to them where it was shipped to. I mean, I don't know how many people that, that is exactly have right. begged me to tell them the shipping address, but gosh, if they show up on that doorstep with a gun and hurt somebody, then it's on my butt. So, Absolutely. 
it's almost impossible for the cardholder to know where a product, you know, where the IP was or what was shipping. But they also, you know, if they were to call their local police department, most of the time they'd be told, well, you know, yeah, you're here, but the merchant's in Seattle and we don't know where that other guy is. He might be in Russia for all we know. So that's a huge challenge when reporting it to law enforcement. And it's not that I'm saying to discourage it. It's just I don't want to give anyone false hope and think that it's just an easy phone call when you might spend a whole day trying to chase and call different people and not get to something. And it's definitely a product of our broken system. Now, I will say, like in other countries outside of the U.S., it's easier than that. You know, you can contact Interpol for Europe, et cetera. But in the U.S., we're pretty far behind on prosecuting cybercrime. And a lot of it has to do with jurisdiction issues. It also has to do with under-trained law enforcement, especially Absolutely. at the local level. I'll never forget having to walk a the head of the white-collar crime, or actually, no, I think it was like the cyber fraud unit or something like that, identity theft task force, something like that, had some kind of title of the New York City Police Department. And this was 10 years ago, so I know that they know this now. But I had to walk him through why... He was looking at different credit card activity on one, you know, somebody who lived in New York, their credit card, and one IP was from Idaho, and then 10 minutes later, it was from Minneapolis. And he's like, I don't understand. Were they giving the card number to someone else right. in the other area? And I said, well, they probably just used a proxy. And he's like, what's that? <laughs> I said, you're yeah, that's, the head of the identity <laughs> theft, and you don't know? So, like, I... You know, and this is 10 years ago. So, like, I mean, that's just an example. They don't have the resources. And honestly, there's other things that are more important, like terrorism and, you know, street crimes and everything else that right. get their attention at both the local and the federal level. So we certainly don't want to pick on them. I think, you know, it's good to know that while it is important to report it, it's difficult to know who to report it to. Absolutely. And now, now there is a website and the name of it is IC3, the Internet Crime Complaint Center. <laughs> and the web address is the letter I, the letter C, the number 3, dot gov. Now, that I'm laughing you, for a reason. <laughs> well, because I know what's coming. <laughs> and I try not to. But here's the deal. Now, you're going to, you're going to report it there. And basically, as far as you know, nothing will ever happen. All right. That, that's one of the main complaints. Nothing ever happens. It's lost. And I've even heard that complaint among law enforcement officials. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, so the IC3 has been around for, I think, around 10 years or so. And they actually just recently, I don't know if celebrated is the right word, but they had their one millionth complaint recently. And I know people that work for them and they really take their job seriously. And basically the IC3 is a place where you can report internet crimes and they essentially add it to a database. And right. as they start to see patterns and the same behavior happening, then they act on it and refer it to various law enforcement. They're actually through the FBI, but they can sometimes work with, you know, secret service, etc. But unfortunately, you know, usually what happens depending on the level of information that the victims have, you know, it, if you are just saying like my credit card was stolen and it was used at XYZ website, it's impossible for them to know who the person was on the other end, what their IP address was, all those things. And they just can't research every single one to get all of the data. I do know that they refer several cases out to the FBI. I know they act on it, but I think honestly, I recommend that consumers report internet crimes to the IC3, honestly, for the sole purpose of feeling like you've done something. Because especially for fraud under $10,000, it's just, it's not as, 
it's not high up the list. But, you know, you never know. You never know. And you certainly can try to call local law enforcement and you might get a officer or detective who really is interested and wants to research it. But right now where we're at in the U.S., it's all a matter, even at the merchant level, it's all a matter of building, well, at the merchant level, I always recommend building relationships with your local federal law enforcement, going to the electronic crimes task force meetings, the ECTFs, and, you know, making connections and relationships and asking them what they need to build a case. At the consumer level, I mean, it doesn't make as much sense to do that, but because it's just one time, you're not going to have stacks and stacks and stacks of fraud to report to them. But right. You know, definitely try and, you know, if all else fails, uh, report it to the IC3. And then really the best thing to do is prevention. I mean, making sure that it doesn't happen to you again. Make sure that you don't, you know, do that. I mean, it's there definitely are cases that have been brought and, you know, we know of several of them. And obviously we're talking and I'm talking to, you know, one person who has been prosecuted. So it happens. But usually it's, you know, at the bigger level. It is. And, and understand that. We're not saying not to report. It's extremely right. important to report. And and one of the reasons that you want to go to IC3 is also because of this database. Right. Without you reporting, law enforcement cannot determine these trends or, or the areas that are that frauds occurring. Or Very true. Or the size of the impact. Or the size or anything else. Right. So That's it, true. It's up, it's up to you to report that so that they can catch the bad guys. So while your specific instance of crime may not be acted on immediately, mm-hmm. if it's tied to a group of fraudsters, if it's tied to uh, some sort of crime ring or anything else like that, enough information is gathered after a while that it gets law enforcement's attention. They then route it to the correct FBI field office, and then an agent gets on the case. And usually by that point in time, it's not difficult to catch the higher tier guys like that because hmm. they're, they're on such a radar at that point that a lot of law enforcement goes after them. So it's important that you always report these things. And the same thing for merchants. I, I cannot stress the amount uh, of fraud that uh, a merchant may be hit with and then they think that nothing's going to happen. Either they're in the U.K. and they're not reporting to uh, the fraud. Con- I, I forgot what the name of that is over there, about fraud or something like that. But they're not reporting over there because they think the exact same thing about their fraud complaint center over there that we do here. Mm. But still, it's that database-type material. So if, you, if you're if you a merchant, do report because it goes in that database and then law enforcement can find out trends. They can make these connections with other criminals and everything else. And it's, it's these small connections that oftentimes result in arrests. Well, and absolutely. And I would say, you know, to your point, even if it doesn't, you know, if your specific crime, whether you're a merchant or a consumer, doesn't ever get researched and acted upon, it does help with um, data and reporting so that, you know, maybe it becomes a bigger issue to Congress. You know, if they only know about this much fraud, but really there's so much more fraud, then it's not on their radar as much to, you know, create laws or bills or, you know, honestly give law enforcement more resources to really focus on cybercrime because right now it's it's just they're stretched thin across so many other things. Absolutely. And, you know, for merchants, you'll want to learn how to put together a case. And I really think, you know, the companies that have investigative departments even though those are usually things that are seen as cost centers, they really are good deterrents. And I can think of, you know, several companies off the top of my head that do have investigative units that, you know, do research after the fraud has been done and connecting all of those together and identifying fraud rings and then doing as much possible research as they can and handing it on to law enforcement. 
And those are the guys who get, you know, the headlines of the 30 arrests across 10 different countries. And those are effective. And, you know, Brett knows that that's when the, you know, guys on the dark web say don't mess with those guys because you could get put in jail. So there, you know, deterrence is definitely a factor there. But you have to report. <laughs> you, you must yes, report. Yeah. So we know that the system is broken, but it, to your point, yeah, it is important to report it so that it can be part of, can be investigated as well as, you know, can be figured. Because honestly, all of the facts and figures that we have are really based on studies that independent companies have done, not because of, you know, reporting, because they're, you know, everyone knows that that's not a reliable number right now. Right. So, you know, the biggest thing, so we've talked so much about credit card fraud, but that's because it's, you know, one of the most common things um, in the U.S. as well as, you know, all over the, the world. I think the most important part about, you know, whenever we talk about credit card fraud is how, you know, how can people protect themselves? I get this question all the time. People ask me, you know, well, gosh, if you see so much fraud, do you just carry cash all the time? And I say, well, <laughs> then you could get mugged on the street. So, you know, there's always a risk with any kind of <laughs> any kind of currency of, mon- you know, money in any form that it can be stolen just in different ways. We created this podcast because we both have a passion for sharing information um, with the masses um, with you on how to protect yourself and your companies against fraud. So prevention is obviously an important part of this topic. Um, and we've talked a little bit about it throughout the throughout the episodes, you know, last week's and this week. But I think for me, my top bullet points would be, you know, be aware and vigilant of the whereabouts of your credit card, not just you know, physically, but I mean, physically look out for card skimmers at gas stations, you know, don't give your credit card number to anyone who's writing it down. Um, Like for fundraisers, always drives me crazy when there's like a clipboard, you know, for donations or something like that. And you see everybody's credit card number sprawled out. I'm like, oh my gosh, no, because you don't know the path, you know, who's going to handle that and who's going to see it, especially even if I'm the next person writing down a credit card number, I can see everyone else's. All I have to do is take out my phone. Don't give your card to anyone who has called you. They could be anyone. So only use your card at legitimate websites. You know, like I said before, you can check the Whois domain to see when a website was created, if it's one you've never heard of before. And especially, like, just be cautious on social media, especially with, you know, all these ads like, you know, one day only get this for, you know, so much off or whatever. Be careful with your card then. Also be aware of phishing scams by email. Don't click on the link in the email unless you've paid close attention to the actual email address that's sending it. And even then, honestly, it's probably better just to go out to the website. So if I'm getting a email from my bank that says we need to update your, you know, please update your password. There might have been a, you know, there was a breach at another website. Please update your password or there's an issue with your account. Please log in to find out what it is go out to your bank's website and log in and look. And if you don't see an issue, then call your bank. I would say like 40, 50% of the time, it's probably a really good phishing email. Sometimes, you know, over time, like I've gotten pretty good at looking at the email address and seeing, but they're getting better and better at making that look really legitimate. Don't give information out, you know, like I said to anyone on the phone that calls you because you never know, you can call them back. You know, don't, even if it's like asking for a donation or things like that, I always have a policy, even if it's a organization that I've donated to before, 
I say, you know what, I, when I am ready to donate, I will either go to your website or please send me information. And most of them are, are used to hearing that and they're fine. If they aren't used to hearing that or if they aren't fine with that, then they're probably a bad guy. So it also goes, you know, when you receive an email about your account from a company, all those things. And honestly, when you're at work too, definitely when you're at work, like if inside your company, if you're getting emails that just don't seem totally right or don't look exactly like other intercompany emails, just be super cautious. Don't click the link unless you absolutely 100% know who it's from. I used to say like joke with other people in my office because I was the only person that knew fraud for when I worked for the trade association. And I finally got to the point where I just used to yell out, no clicky the linky. Um, (laughs) Because it just was like, oh my gosh, you guys. Because they'd be asking like, is this one okay? Is this okay? I'm like, just don't click any links and we're good. (laughs) Because I mean, I knew the contacts that we had in our database. I just didn't want to compromise them at all. And then other things, try not to make online purchases on a public computer or on public Wi-Fi. That's probably something that Brett can talk more about. And then also, you know, monitor your account, set up alerts so you're not notified of any suspicious activities. That's a long list, but I'm sure Brett has a few things to add on to it. But that's, you know, the ones that I really high level always suggest to help keep people more safe. No, I think that that list is outstanding. Uh, The only thing I would add to it is Carissa is talking about phishing, for example. 86%. 86% of every single person will fall for a spear phishing attack. I don't care the amount of, uh, of training or phishing simulation they went through or anything mm. else. 86% of every single person will fall for that spear phishing attack. It's important that you always have different passwords for every single website. And if you're, if you're unable to come up with secure ones, and most people are, then use a password manager or use a security key. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, Google recently uh, issued every single employee that they have a USB key. And phishing attacks went down to zero because of that, successful phishing attacks. So always, always be aware of your passwords. Never, ever use the same password across multiple websites. That's the number one rule on everything. Other than that, I think that you touched on every single thing that we needed to get across to uh, to consumers and merchants about uh, how to protect themselves. The number one thing is self-aware, raising awareness. I mean, it's it's extremely important that you're always vigilant. And we that's one of our catchphrases at the mm-hmm. end of the show. That's why, right? We have to be vigilant <laughs> about these things. We cannot, we cannot just sit back and think that the government's going to protect us or law enforcement's going to protect us or security companies are going to protect us. We have to have an active engagement in our own security. That couldn't be said better. That was actually exactly what I was going to say is I think that when I do have people ask me what they can be doing, and I give them some of those tips, they kind of look at me like, wow, that's a lot of work. <laughs> like, well, yeah, but would you leave your front door open at night? Like, exactly. you know, I mean, and I, I totally agree. And I'm going to, you know, be the first person to admit that I don't always follow my own advice 100%. You know, especially when it comes to passwords, things like that. Like I have my own methodology of, you know, some accounts are the only ones that have that password and others I do it in a different way. It's not something that I want to admit, but it's just where I'm at right now. I definitely need to enroll in a password manager. Brett has (laughs) been telling me that for a long time. You know, when I also learned from him that storing your passwords and your credit card number on your browser isn't safe. No, it's not. Not at all. 
yeah, so, you know, like Google or Microsoft, you know, the, the different browsers, they offer that sometimes. And I was using that for a while, and I didn't realize that that was, I thought that was very secure. Nope, not, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we'll See, say so, about that. Just right, well, <laughs> yeah, and so, I mean, you know, those are the kind of things that we are constantly, in many ways, trading our privacy for convenience. And I think that goes for security, too. A lot of times we're trading our security for convenience. And I think that we just really need to reprioritize things like what's more important, that extra step or knowing that we're a little bit more secure. I think that's really, you know, what it comes down to with all of these things. All right. And with that, that's our episode for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you learned a lot, and we've got so many of these topics to cover to help you protect yourself and your business from fraud. So please subscribe to Online Fraudcast to be alerted when a new episode is out. And because we're new, please tell your friends. Rate and review where you can to help others learn about these topics as well. And we always love hearing from you, what you love about the podcast, how we can improve, and what topics you want to hear us discuss. You can find us at Online Frogcast on Facebook, Twitter, or find us individually on LinkedIn, or email us at info at onlinefrogcast.com. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure.